Alan, 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 Alan. Man, thank you for those ridiculous words, Alan. And so, just good to be here. Anybody ever see the movie Sister Act back in the 90s? I'm talking about the, the first one, or the, no, the... No, the second one, the one in 93 where the choir went to the state finals. Anybody remember this back in the 1900s? It was actually, Karen was watching it yesterday. And this lady, no, I think it was the first one where the, the nuns formed the choir uh, is the first one. And so they walk into this uh, Catholic church in San Francisco. And I will tell you, it looked a little bit like this. It was like this empty room, and, uh, but it was empty because that church, that parish or whatever, had not had much vibrancy. And of course, the choir turns everything around, and then there's thousands of people. Even the Pope uh, goes to that uh, space. But I will tell you again, uh, it's fascinating to watch uh, what happens to all of our hearts when something, we're in this weird semester where chapel is not required because there's no way that we can require it. We can simply say, hey, it's open and uh, for business. And those who come into the physical space um, are not obligated to be here. Is anybody here obligated to be here other than my wife and Alan Tennyson is obligated because he had to introduce me. Um, I also want to say, uh, Dr. Doug Graham is back in chapel, and um, but it is fascinating to watch our hearts when something is no longer required. Now, I will tell you this: don't think that the second the COVID restrictions are lifted, uh, NCU will be back to its normal playbook, and our chapels will be part of the regular dynamic and demand of students because we believe with all of our heart in this formative stage of our life and in this formative stage of my life, uh, I need to be in this place. You know, some of the greatest um, presentations or transfers of power is what I call it. Uh, we're going to talk about the transfer of power uh, today. You know, we talk about speak truth to power. We're going to take you to a story in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, so get your Bibles ready in one of the most important stories in human history and kingdom history about the transfer of power and how that looked. Um, but it's interesting to see what it's like when you don't have to be here, when you, when you just can say, I'll pop in. And again, we're all limited, so people in their mindset says, well, there's no space for that day or this day. I just want to commend you uh, for being here today and uh, for being in this space because this is what life is going to be like for you when you leave college. Because what happens when you're in educational settings, people still place parameters on your life. And they place obligations and expectations on your life. You're weaning away from the 24-7 obligation of when you lived at home. But even in a residential campus setting, you're totally obligated. You know how obligated you are? You could get me fired. You say, what? No, let me tell you how this thing actually, were, were this relationship, I could really rip the school apart by creating a scandal. Uh, you can rip the school apart by creating a firestorm, and we all go down in one big crash landing. That's how intimately uh, connected that we are in a residential setting. Nobody here is operating. I'm not, you're not, we're not operating as independent uh, contractors around here. We've made this covenant communal commitment one to another. And so how, how I behave, 
outside of this room and how you behave outside. We're in this together. We can bring each other down or we can lift each other to places we have never been before in leadership. And so I want to say thank you for doing your part. I want to pray I continue to do my part to make this amazing university soar um, like never before. So somebody from behind the mask, whisper a little amen. Uh, smile at me. I want to see your teeth right now. Smile, smile, smile. So, okay, what we're going to talk about is this transfer of power for just a moment um, because we're going to have some great worship here in just a few minutes as well. Second Kings chapter 2 is one of the most important fundamental uh, perspectives biblically, as my Bible's falling apart here, forgive me. Um, here, I'm going to hand you first couple chapters of Genesis there, honey. So if you get bored, you can read the first couple chapters of Genesis. Second Kings chapter 2, it says, It came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah. We're going to read it kind of slow because Elijah and Elisha, we always get it kind of backwards on who is who are we talking about, which story, because there's so much similarity between uh, the mentor and the protege. And there's, there's important parallels to draw between this, these two individuals and how God brings the transfer of power and what is the conduit that allows the power of one generation to reach into the next. It really is not the willpower of the existing generation. It's the willpower of the rising generation that determines whether the transfer of power to greater things takes place. I can wish whatever I wish for your life. I could hope whatever I could hope for you. But it's actually dependent upon you more than it is me whether there'll be a transaction from the proven to the promising. Even though we hold the cards in leadership and we have uh, established lives and reputations, and we kind of hold, uh, we're gatekeepers of opportunity. It's really up to you whether you access it and how you access it, not up to our desire to give it away. Now watch this. It says here that it came about when the Lord was about to take Elijah up in a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And so there were these three stops in the story. There's Gilgal, there's Bethel, and there's Jericho. And this unusual portal of transfer is about to take place. There's some very pragmatic things about the story that, are, that really you, we, we can discover, hopefully I'll highlight in just a minute, that will transcend all of this supernatural fanfare that feels utterly unique to them and completely off limits to me. That's not what the story is telling us. It says that Elijah, Elijah, who is the mentor, the kingdom mentor, says to Elisha, the protege, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And there's a common theme of this relentless attachment that you see in scripture, where literally godly people are telling the protege, Hey, we need some space, but the protege is so hungry for the transfer of power that they literally appeal to the mentor and say, but the Lord is telling me, no, I'm not going to live with the space. Now, I think the Lord was giving in a, with some decorum here, an, an out for the protege. 
not to get into the messiness or the profound stewardship of what was in their heart. Like, do you really want this transfer? Is that what you're after? You you really want this to happen? So Elijah says, why don't you just stay here? And it was a test. It was a test to the protege, to the mentee, however we want to frame it. How bad do you want this? What's really in your heart? What's really driving you? Because this is going to be determined by the rising generation, not the departing one. Even though the current generation seems to hold the power, the power over the transfer was held by the protege, not the mentor. So watch this. It says here that the protege, Elisha, says, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha, Elisha, the protege, and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Do you understand that you're at the most critical juncture of your life? The critical juncture. And I will tell you, a godly man provided the out as a test. But I will tell you this, the enemy also is giving every one of you, all of us, president included, options to opt out of what God has called you and placed you to do. The opt out button is in front of us always. I'm just going to opt out of this. So that that invitation of self-dismissal is in front of us all, all, all the time. It doesn't just come from a godly mentor. It, it comes from the enemy as well. You can opt out of this. Just opt out. Just kick the can down the street. Put all your dreams on hold, all your development on hold because of the moment. Just opt out of this thing, man. So now the 50 prophets say, um, do you know your master's leaving you today? That's a pretty traumatic, emotional statement. And what is the protege, Elisha says, yes, I know, be still. I get it. I'm at a critical juncture of life. I'm here and I'm in college. It's hard. I got opt-out options all day long coming at me. COVID gives me an opt-out. All the unrest gives me an opt-out. Everything is throwing the opt-out at me. I get it. I'm in an important moment of my life. Yes, I know. Be still. Which basically is just shut up. I get it. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho, this third spot from Gilgal, Bethel, now Jericho. All of these tests to settle in this other place other than the place God has taken you. You can opt out here in Jericho. You can opt out at Bethel. These are very significant locations. Just stay here. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Here it is again. 
this relentless pursuit of intimacy, this relentless pursuit of attachment, or what we would understand as a, the grafted life with God, his purposes, his moment. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull back. I'm not going to opt out. So again, he's tested. And he says, in all due respect, I'm not going to do that. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Again, what they said at Bethel. And he says again, yes, I know. I get it. Right there, verse 5. Be still. Shut up. I get what's going on. <clears throat> I'm at a critical juncture in my life. I'm losing the human framework. My mentor is about to depart. I don't know what happens next. I don't feel prepared for what happens next. But I understand I'm in this moment. I get what's going on in my life. Then Elijah said to him, verse 6, Please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on this constant test to opt out. It's, gonna, it's in front of us. It's going to be with us. What do we do when we're given the chance to opt out of this? So they went on. And the two of them stood by the Jordan where Joshua had stood on the heels of Moses. Elisha took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters and they were divided there, here and there, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. It's a sequel. We'd seen the work of Moses with the staff parting a sea here, this external instrument we know that the Jordan parted under Joshua with the instrument of the faith of the priests who put their ankles in the water in this. It congealed and stopped and created this dry space for what many scholars believe was for nearly a month in order for Israel to fully cross. They did sit and cross in a minute. It took a long time for several million people to get across a river on dry ground. And those priests stood there when Joshua was leading them in such a way that a generation could get from point A to point B. That's, you're the generation going from point A to point B. Hopefully your leaders are standing in such a way that we're creating passage for you. We're walking in faith and creating dry ground. But you will have to step in that Jordan one day and live your life in such a way that it creates dry ground for a generation that needs to get from there to there. That's the beautiful, powerful cycle of faith and leadership in the kingdom. Now watch this. I didn't, I didn't mean to digress into another Bible story, but it's the Jordan splitting. We've seen this. The Bible says that when they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. One of the most famous lines in all of scripture. I want a life that's meaningful and powerful, not fame and fortune, friends. 
but impact. I want a double portion of what you had. Here's where no one can obligate you to feel this way or thirst or long for the Lord in this way. Nobody can. When I stand before the Lord, Karen will not be there. The white people will not be with me. If you're African-American, you're not going to stand with the black community when you stand before Jesus Christ. Your spouse won't even be there. Your parents won't be there. I'm going to stand alone before the Lord. Nobody can make me. I don't move in solidarity in all things, friends. Nobody could make the protege long for the double portion life that he saw in his mentor, Elijah. Where does this come from inside a person? Where does this desire emerge from a person? It's interesting. You, you can't be born into this thing. You must be born again. We're not born into this. At some point, I must become born again. I've got to step into this reality of what I call the pneuma or the ruach, that spirit life. Early in my ministry life, I began to understand the idea of Ruach and Numa, this idea of God's spirit. I think together there's nearly 600 usages of Numa and Ruach in scripture. This idea of the spirit of God or the spirit world, this invitation to this life of breath, fragrance, the wind of God, this energy manifested by the movement of air, the effect, the agency that's invisible of the unseen world, this spirit life that both enables me to live. It's the part of me that was transferred from the creator when he breathed into Adam differently than, he wait, than when he made my dog or cat breathe. This part of me that is filled with life and, and longing. For the Lord. This transfer of a double portion of this spirit world, this anointing, from the mentor Elijah to the protege Elisha is what this story is so powerfully telling us. It brings a dilemma to the soul because, again, I, I don't know. I look at my own life, I'm not looking at yours. What really makes me long for more? Let me get to the heart of this, and then the worship team is going to come up. Double portion of spirit be upon me. He said, you have asked a hard thing. It's hard to live the spirit spilled life. It's hard to walk in twice what the previous generation walked in. I know there's a lot of things to discredit my age group about. You know, we've had quite a week uh, here at the University of Learning and Loving. You know, my generation, we, we loved the fact that we've been able to define the problem. But your generation, once it's solved, they don't want it defined. We defined it, but we didn't solve it. This generation has a relentless hunger to see more. But the Bible says if you're a believer and you want more, you're asking for a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, 
it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. So here, the mentor is even saying, I cannot manipulate the transfer. It's up to you to long for it more than my longing to give it. But ultimately, for the Lord to visit your generation is a sovereign decision that is beyond my ability to manufacture it for you so that you will not credit the mentor for this power, but you will credit only the Lord who who alone can visit a generation with a double portion. But if you don't want it, it's not going to happen. But even if you long for it, it's not up to me to make it happen. It's still the Lord. So the mentor says, hey, protege, you ask a hard thing. I can't guarantee twice of my life for you, but, but there's a possibility the Lord may grant this for this generation for you. If you see me go up, it's a good sign. But if not, it shall not be so. Verse 11, as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven, just this, like a spiral staircase, like a cat five or a tornado just somehow lifted him. But it was visible, filled with chariots and with fire. Wow. This Old Testament kind of Pentecost upper room. And it says here quickly, Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. That lament, that renting, the recognition of the critical juncture, the recognition that God was there. This loss, this grief, but this hope. And so he sees this unfold. And he also took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. So as the whirlwind's taking him this this mantle, this cloth, this garment falls. As he goes up, it just kind of drifts to the ground like it fell out of heaven. Coming from above, a type, I believe, a foreshadowing of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. Where the Lord sent down to us from heaven, his, his visitation, his promise. So here the Lord is doing it. He's seeing it, man. It's the transfer of power is taking place. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, returned and stood by the banks of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah, which he also had struck the waters and they were divided here and there and Elisha crossed over. This was only a sign for Elisha. It was a test of this transfer of power. There were no enemy to be defeated. There was nobody watching this. It was really this confirmation that came to the protege that was immediate and visible that the Lord had heard his cry. And I I know we could go on and scholars point to the fact I believe there were 16 notable miracles in Elijah's life 
And there were 32 notable miracles recorded in Elisha's life. So it's fascinating that even mathematically, some scholars point to an exact doubling of, and many of them were identical in nature. He, he, he fulfilled much of the same history and how some of those scenes that were different. And then he was able to affect new things for the kingdom, Elisha, with this double portion. Here's what I'm saying. At this point, we'll pick this up at a future because I want to worship the Lord with you today. Your generation wants to do great things. Your generation wants to see things solved, not just defined. You're asking for a hard thing. It's a hard thing. I so want you to have twice the life I've had. I want you to do twice as much, if not more, than anything I've ever accomplished for the Lord. That's the heart of the fathers. That's why I said, Father, Father. The fathers and mothers in this room who have served the Lord, whom you may look to with some admiration, nothing would make me happier for you to do twice what we have done. But it's a hard thing. And it only is going to come from the Lord. It's not going to come from. Now, there's a relentless intimacy principle here that says, I'm not going to opt out. I'm not going to settle in Gilgal, Bethel, Jordan, or Jericho, or the Jordan. Every time there's a test to pull back, to lose the intimacy, to lose the attachment that you have to the Lord, you have to resist it like the plague. You guys say, if I'm the only Christian in the room and everybody's saying, hey, man, don't you know, man, you're losing everything. He's gone. And this is a critical juncture of your life. Do you really? I get it. I know. I know. I'm in a critical spot in my life. But I'm not going to become paralyzed at the critical juncture of my life. I'm going to press in and I'm going to long for the Lord. And what Elisha did to Elijah is a picture of you and I walking with Jesus. Even though all these people and all these circumstances are telling you to pull back and opt out. What you long to accomplish in your life is on the other side of that persistence, that relentless pursuit of Jesus. Even if you're the only one pursuing him. I'm praying for you. We got lots more to talk about in the text. I wish my room was full. I miss the school in that context, but the Lord's helping me every day to keep going forward. I'm proud of you. You're not kicking the can down the streets. Ah, I just go to school later. I'll figure out when all this stuff just kind of, ah, and then you could find yourself five, six years of just like, man, why didn't I, why didn't I just stick it out? Man, why didn't I just stay and not opt out? I think the Lord is talking to some folks on Zoom and some folks in the room. I'm proud of you. I want us to pray together, begin to worship the Lord together. Let's stand across this room. And uh, this is still my favorite place, even though it's a different vibe to the room. Um, how many glad you came to chapel today? Tell me, God, at least one thing out of that that was helpful to your heart. 
And I know as I read the Bible, stuff's just exploding back at me in this text that I just want to spend time with the Lord, just establishing that in my life. As we begin to sing, I want your voices lifted from behind the veil and your hands to heaven. And we're going to pray for anybody that needs to be healed in their bodies today would be healed physically in Jesus' name. Anybody that needs the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit in your life, man, it would happen today. Don't hold back. Don't lay in the shadows waiting for some future different set of conditions, man. Say, no, I ain't leaving. 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 I'm pressing in and I want, uh, even though it's hard, I want everything the Holy Spirit has for my life in the future. I'm proud of you. Let's just begin to worship God. Great to see everybody. Let's sing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.